Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Recorded live. Yeah, it is recorded live. This is Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio at its finest. I'm your host, Evan Jensen. With us is our other host, Kelly Griffin. Um, in studios will be, and who is currently with us is David Oman from the from the Lee Oman House. So welcome to the show, David Oman. Hello, how are you? Hey, we're doing great. Thanks for being here again for us today. It was short notice for you. I really appreciate, you know, you uh, taking the time out of your day to be with us today. Um, we had a cancellation, mix-up schedule, and a person actually had, like, a some kind of a graduation with their daughter that they had to go to, so obviously that was a must-do. Um, and we're going to reschedule um, Gavin Kelly for another show here soon. But I want to say something while I get the chance to throw out some props out, some props out here for our show, our conspiracy show. Actually, I think it's what it's going to boil down to. It'll be a little bit mixed of conspiracy stuff versus paranormal because of the two uh, key guests, and that's for this coming this month here on the 28th. So next week will be uh, Ed, uh, best-selling author Edwin F. Becker, and also best-selling author Jim Mars. That'll be at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Don't miss it. It's going to be a hell of a show. Uh, Edwin Becker, not only is he going to be an interviewee, but he is also going to um, do some interviewing with Jim Mars. Now, mind you, these people, these two guests, these two authors are about the same age. They are a vast knowledge of both the paranormal um, and and other stuff, you know, conspiracy stuff. And so I think that it'll be a hell of a show. In fact, people are kind of labeling it. Somebody labeled it yesterday and stuck with this, the mother of all conspiracy shows. So look for that on the 28th, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All right, that's our plug out. Uh, Kelly, thanks for being here again today. You bet. You bet. So <clears throat> here we are today. It's Tuesday. It's 3.08. And uh, I don't know. I'm feeling kind of blah, blah, blah. I might just have to go jump in that paranormal hot tub. That's what I'm thinking. Sounds good to me. I want to go to the time, <laughs> hot tub time machine myself. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. I'm sorry. I have to just. You brought out hot tub and paranormal hot tubs? Like, no. Hot tub time machine. That's what I want. That's, I love that movie. That I love great, that though. movie. I can't stand it. I really love it. all authentic John Cusack. I think Cusack is hysterical. He plays deadpan yeah. so well. It's not funny. He's so just like, 
Yeah, uh-huh. and you believe it. It's not like you for a second doubt his character. You just go with it. It's like, yeah, I can see him saying that for real. I can see him being like that in real life. I'm sure he couldn't give a rat's ass that I'm saying this, but I could certainly see him being like that in real life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted to say one more thing before I, I mean, listen, we got to share some of the news here, so gosh darn it. I want to hear what's old. <laughs> oh, man. Yesterday, on Monday, um, former yeah, that was A&E, yesterday. well, former A&E reality star, Ryan Daniel Beal, uh, was due back in court uh, over the Hertz rental car. Uh, the theatrical nightmare that he caused there, you know, where he had to go up here in court and they accused him of three different charges and yada, yada, yada. Well, um, he was due back in court yesterday and we're waiting for the, I've got to call him to the courthouse and of course there's a very small courthouse there in States College and so I'm waiting for them to call me back uh, to get the news and documents, and so I'll be releasing that here soon in the Paranormal Herald. Um, but anyway, so people are asking, well, what happened? What happened? And I'm like, how the hell do I know? They... <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell do I care? He's just an ex-hack celeb. Crap. Uh, he is the ex-paracelab that was on uh, Ghost, what was it called, Ghost? Lab or something. Ghost Lab, oh boy. Yeah. Was that it? And yeah. he he basically fell from grace, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, which which one are you talking about? That now. Brian Ghost Buell. Lab is, oh Brian no, Buell. he was. No, he wasn't Ghost Lab. That's Brad Clean. Oh, Those um, Texas boys. <laughs> His was Paranormal State. The very. That's first. right, Paranormal State. All right. Paranormal yeah. State. The Paranormal State. That's. That's where he started at, in, I guess in State's College, or no, State's College, where the hell did yeah, he start there? Yeah, State right? College. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, Penn State. Yeah, he had a, Penn State. Penn State yeah. Yeah. He had a great Always opportunity to be a professor. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, I'm sorry, folks from Penn State and from Pennsylvania in general. I just couldn't resist when he said that. I was like, oh, really? Gee, how can yeah, I not? You know how can I walk away with my head held high if I don't cap on that? I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm really but, sorry. But, I don't mean anything, but I'm I'm kidding. Hey, look, I'm not a fan of anything bad that ends up happening, and I don't like to make light of it. Believe me, I just thought it was. Uh, it, uh, don't hold it against me. It was just a bad joke. I'm sure if Bill Maher would have said it, you would have been shooting him. Don't shoot me. <laughs> don't shoot me. But you know what? Yeah, he ahead. was the original. He was the first. And when he started out, you know, nobody had done anything like it. He had, he could have done so many things. I think they made him a professor. And, you know, he just, bless his heart. I mean, as we say in Texas, bless his heart. Because he just, I think he spun off. And didn't no, he just steal every, another every, car? You know, we, we all have our problems, you know. It's, it's we not, do. Not to make, fight, and, make fun of somebody else. You know, because of that situation, you know, it's it is it is what it is part of our um, of our experience here on this plane of existence. You know, yeah, it's not, and he needs to make fun of things like that. It's we're all human, you know. He needs help. He really needs help. And you know, I think a lot of people who've never been in you know in in famous or on TV kind of um, end up like that. They don't know how to handle it. 
but I, I hope he gets help because he, you know, when I saw him the first time, I was like, I'm going to do that. And I did. And now he's in jail, but, you know. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I couldn't. The spirits just, what time did it say? Did she just say that? <laughs> so I'm just laughing at what the spirits are laughing at as I'm hearing you say that they just cracked up. You just, you just, you just, you just sent a shockwave of laughter over the hereafter on this side of the phone. That was funny. And now he's in jail. It's like, well, don't. And they said, well, make sure you don't follow in his footsteps, as you just said. I went on his foot. Like, really? Be careful. The next footstep you take might be into jail, and you don't have a get out of jail free card. Oh yeah, my those God, are, that those was are, funny. Oh, God. Well, that, and you're, and you're speaking of deadpan, facts. speaking of deadpan, you are quite the adept woman of character when you pulled that one off because you said it. You didn't even, <laughs> I don't think you noticed the joke you just said, but they just said, God damn, she's like Gracie Allen on this side. She's really good. She goes, boy, deadpan. She goes, talk about de- That was the greatest setup. And now he's in jail. And you said it without lose- missing a beat, somebody just said. They said, God, she's really good. <laughs> you, you know, forget, forget radio. You could be on television with that kind of humor. My God, that popped out line so well. It's like, and now he's in jail. It's like, oh, yeah. That's just- <laughs> he is. Those are the facts. But you know what? I bet he makes a comeback. I really do. He's going to have to do a lot of amendments and making up for things. Oh, boy. Enough, guys. Enough. I heard the joke. I got it. Choose your wording. Be careful. He's in jail. That's not exactly the word you want to be saying. Like, don't drop the soap in the shower. Oh, boy. God, not in jail. He'll be alone. And they said, even if you think you're alone in the shower, don't drop the soap and try to pick it up. Oh, God, this is not funny. This is terrible. I was going to go somewhere, but I'm not because, you know, (laughs) I'm going to end it right there. You bet your damn ass you will. (laughs) (laughs) They can read your mind. They said, yeah, you're going to start that up. We're not going to have a conversation about the paranormal. We're going to have the comedy hour. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to stop because. The poor listeners are going to hear this later on going, I thought this was about the paranormal. I thought David yeah. was going to talk about ghosts. I thought he was going to talk about Sharon Tate. Why is he not talking <laughs> about Sharon Tate and the ghosts? I want to hear about ghosts. Fred, Fred, I want to hear about ghosts, Fred. Fred, I want to hear about ghosts. David, will you please talk about ghosts? Talk about ghosts, David. Please talk about ghosts. Talk about ghosts, David, and the ghosts in your house. Please, 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 David, talk about the ghosts. I want you to talk about the ghosts. I won't be happy until you talk about the ghost, David. Please, please talk about the ghost. Then we better do that immediately. Hey, let, me, let, me, let me put a little death in there for you. Let's just talk about Zach Baggins. I heard your No, baby. no, 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 no. We will not talk about the error of our ways. <laughs> Don't get him started right now. Don't get him started on that. <laughs> no, we will not yeah. speak of that which is unspeakable, unmentionable, and need not be spoken yet. Take it out tomorrow on Wednesday because it's trash day. <laughs> I, heard, I heard David Owens going to help co-author my book, Evil Innocence. Yeah, that's what the spirits told me. His spirits I'm going to co-author your book. 
No offense, man. I got a book I've been trying to write for four years now, and I'm still on page. I'm, sent, yeah. I'm, I'm still on paragraph one. Okay. <laughs> Evan, I really, we really are going to write a book, are we not, Evan? We discussed yeah, this. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. She's going to co-author the book with you, Evan. I can't. I can't even freaking sit down and discipline myself to author my own book of my own story at this house. And I think, why don't you write a book? Look, when People Magazine tells you, why don't you write the book, then your movie will have something to launch off of because your book will come out. We'll do a whole book review about your house. And we're telling you, we're interested in, a story, in your story, but you have to sit down and write it. You have to write the book about your story. That's four years ago. I'm still here. with. The, I looked at it yesterday and said, wow, I got five <laughs> sentences down in four years. That's pretty good. With with everything that we've discussed on our shows, that could be a whole book. I mean, if we recorded it and then you just go back and write what you said, I think you would have a book because we've talked a lot about, you know, Sharon Tate and the murders and and how you feel about Charles Manson. And, you know, we've talked so much about the things that really happened and uh, which a lot of people don't know. And I think that would be really interesting. You know, uh, my mom read Helter Skelter, as I told you, and she would hide it under the bed, but I knew she was reading it. And so all of those people that read that book, I think they would like one that actually has the facts. You know, what really happened. Well, I, 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 I and I always say that like yeah. that because I, that's a, that to me, what you just said is very important. Impactful upon me and very powerful, but in the same breath, it's a lot of responsibility. And I don't, um, and I'll be the first to admit that I know, I know some of, how do you say this? I know that some of the mythology that people have been led to believe by, how do you say, later books that have come out long after, you know, Vincent Bugliosi's book, Helter Skelter, which I personally think um, is pretty much. The it is a terrible word to say, and people are going to take this out of context. That it's the Bible for to, to, to what happened there, and what I mean by it is, it is the go-to book. It is written during the time, at the time, from the people's perspective, who are it, when it was fresh in the memory of those who were the participants and those that were there. It's a hell of a thing to make a statement 30, 40 years after the fact and recollect and for time to have passed and for your beliefs to have mellowed. And what I mean by that is, is the people that were the perpetrators of the crime, their beliefs have changed since the days that, they, that it took place. And what's interesting is, is that if somebody tells me, oh, they haven't changed, it's like, yeah, they have. They've mellowed out. They're not the same, they don't have the same radical views that they had once upon a time when they were in their early 20s. Nobody does. A lot of people's views mellow and change. And, of course, being in jail and vying for an opportunity to seek parole will also have an effect upon your um, opinions, stated and interviews. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's no way. So that when people say, oh, they, they, they've changed, I think, well, yeah, they, they've changed. And so when you interview them now, what they're going to tell you is not going to exactly be what they were feeling at the time. That's why when I saw this movie about two years ago called Manson, that was a documentary shot at Spawn Ranch, literally a couple of months after the Charles was in jail in 
early 1970, and this, um, how she says, this documentarian implanted himself with the family and interviewed all of the members that were still there on the ranch right after they uh, committed, you know, shortly after the murders were committed, within a year, less than a year's time. He had them sitting at a table, and he's running the camera and interviewing them, and they're speaking, and it's not an actor. It's not Helter Skelter, the movie, 1974. These are the real individuals themselves speaking with no cue cards, just being themselves, and it's mind-boggling because... Hey, David, hold on a second. I want you to hear this and tell me what it is. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. What was what it? Gas and gas? <laughs> what? That's a paranormal hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> That's a paranormal hot tub. That was the gurgling and the burgling. You're going to take a nice hot tub and go, hey, you know what I'm saying? God bless you. If you can do a radio show from your hot tub, more power to you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, if, if I'm so inclined, I draw a tub in my own bath, bath, in my own master bath, and sit down in there and turn on the jets and make like it was a, a jacuzzi myself. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> You can throw a couple of plastic rubber duckies and some SpongeBob square pants bloody deals, and, and you're good to go. No, I got Family Guy, and uh, I got the Family Guy inflate, you know, bubble bath can, uh, dispenser of Peter Griffin, and uh, that's what I've got. I think it's actually the dispensers out of his ass. That would be right, wouldn't it? Yeah. You squeeze, you push down on his head, and the, the stuff comes out of his butt. That's what Seth MacFarlane should think about that. No, no, that. no, don't start that. Don't start that. Um, for, a soap dis- for a soft soap dispenser. <laughs> you no, know, face down on Peter's head, and his, he's bent. He's like squatting down, and out of his butt comes the uh, soap. Perfect. You know, you've made reference oh, to that two or three times now. You know my issue, David. We can't go... I know. All right, all right. right. I won't won't talk about Peter Griffin and uh, and uh, and Family Guy and Seth MacFarlane anymore. (laughs) So my point was, as I was saying, the point was is that, um, yeah, what the hell was my point? What were we just talking about before I started talking about Peter Griffin? I just lost the memory. You were were talking about how now you know they're so different than they were then. So they've they've changed a lot. So when you read people's you know, theories about, you know, that Sharon Tate's father was involved with the secret division of the um, of the government that was involved in infiltrating the hippies and this and that, and saying that his, that his daughter didn't die. I mean, there's so many different spins on the, the story about the murders and the conspiracies behind it. No offense, guys. I know you're heavy into the conspiracy theories, but there's some things that you just don't touch. You don't touch. <laughs> I'm hearing the song. You know, from the, I'm hearing the song from the 19. I'm going to cue it up. As a matter of fact, um, bad, bad Leroy Brown, bad, uh, best uh, man uh, in the whole dance. You don't tug on Superman's cape. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one we're talking about? You don't tug on Superman's cape. Is that that's not that's a different song then than Leroy Brown. Um, it's another '70s song. Um, no, that's the same one. That is the first a, you know, you don't, you don't tug on, you know, it's it's a different sign. Yeah. You don't, you don't tug on, on, and you don't 
mess around with Jim. That's the right. song I'm looking for. The song, he says, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't right. sit in the wind. There's some things mm-hmm. you just don't do. To say, lay at the feet of Sharon Tate's parents that they were somehow responsible for that, for Sharon's murder, is mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. I just, and, I just find it know, really, I just find it really inc- incessantly wrong, and that Manson was a this and was a was a government operative. No, that's not the case. It's not that at all. Manson was Manson. He didn't have anything with the government. Jay Sebring was not selling cocaine to Manson, and this and that. All these conspiracies about this and that don't add up. They are drawing no. air from a vacuum that's empty. Doesn't and you know sense. what? They gloated. Back in the day, they, when they were walking into jail, those girls were gloating. They were oh, smiling yeah. and smirking. And I mean, I watched what you're referring to. I watched that interview with them, and uh, they found Jesus, I guess. And now the stories have changed a bit, but that doesn't change the fact that they're what happened happened, and they were evil. I mean, now they're trying to say, you know different things, and they're sorry, and they found Jesus, and blah, blah, blah. I'm glad they found Jesus, because they're going to need him. But <laughs> that doesn't it mean was anything. Evil. But their deed is done. Right. The deed is done. And they glowed, they smiled all the way there about it. They didn't have any issues with what they did. And now, you know, yeah, stories are changing. So, it's I think true. the original... And when you watch the video, the movie, Manson, the documentary... They, the girls are like talking about sometimes you just got to go. I mean, they're just so as a matter of fact about get the guns and do this and kill somebody. And, you, and these aren't actors. This isn't 40 years later and reflection, reflective of time that has passed under them while they're still alive and breathing. Sharon just chimed in and said, which we are not. That's all a moot point. Take it at what it was said at the time. Don't try to change the subject and say, well, now, well, who gives a shit about now? Forty years later, the, 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 five of them, the five of their bodies have been rotting in the ground. Don't tell me about now. That's then is what counts, what was done. It's not some, some flippant little incident. You can't exactly. bring them back. And, you know, changing your, your mind now is, should have thought about that before you'd done the deed, damn it. Exactly. And, you know, we've all done something that we wish we could take back. And, and you either, um, you know, you you have to live with that. And, you know, if I say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry I did whatever, but now I'm going to, now I found Jesus, so it makes it all okay. No, it doesn't. And I'm not a judge and I'm not a jury, but, man, that was horrible. I mean, it was one of the most horrible, horrific things that the world has ever seen. So I, I don't think you can really change much about that. You know, it's it's uh it chokes me up still. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. Ah, I don't know man. If the spirits could talk more I'm sure they would. Or maybe they do. Hmm. I think there's plenty yeah, they of things do. I to say. I'm still looking for that goddamn song. <laughs> oh, 
You can't be bad, bad Leroy Bennett. You don't tug on. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't. Don't mess around with Jim. You don't mess around with Jim. That's the goddamn song. Yeah. Oh, Jim Croce. Jim. Don't mess around. The song is "You Don't Mess Around with Jim." And you don't, don't mess, mess around, around with him. Yeah. You know why I remember this song? When I was little, when I was little, my mama used to tell me, you can only say um, damn in this song. Oh, only God. The only time you can ever say damn. So we'd be like, bad, bad, Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the world. Yeah, that's not damn. it. That's damn. not yeah. it. It's Jim Oh, yeah. The lyric I was looking for is coming up. Wait, what's the chorus? Here we go. Here it is, just because. Okay. You don't that was it. You don't tug <laughs> on the mask on the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around. And you around don't with mess around Sharon. with Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my point is that I just I personally think that there's there can't there are things for conspiracy theories and such, and some things are really need to be literally hands off. Not because I say so, because you say so, David and Sharon tells you. It's like, no, because of the simple fact that it has no basis in reality. Five people are dead, and it wasn't at the hands of Richard Nixon and his, his, his delusion of trying to implicate and crush. I mean, yes, what, what happened as a fact of, of what took place was the fact that it did put an end to the 60s as far as the innocence of the hippie movement. It was the nail in the coffin that rang in the death knell of the, of the hippies and the innocence of the hippies. And I should know because when I was growing up, my mom you know, stopped giving rides to, to hitchhikers. But prior to the murders, she did give hitchhikers rides. Everybody's whole demeanor in L.A. and all around the world changed. Because now, of this. I, I did, hey, David, I did not know that there was an end to the 60s. I still have my time line T-shirts and jeans. And, <laughs> what the I, hell? Meant, I, didn't, I didn't mean the spirit of the 60s. I meant it was an abrupt, sharp change at a moment where you could look back in time and say, you can put your finger on it and say, at this point in time, there was a huge shift in the public view towards... Mm-hmm. The youth of the day, and it, from from accepting and and appreciating them to completely like whoop, uh uh-uh, uh, stop. It's gone too we, far. Yeah, we, not yeah. even gone too far. It's like stop. We are now not remotely interested. It wasn't remotely interested. It was more like it was a it was a shock. I mean, because like I said, when people stopped caring about. The hippie movement was right after that. And whether or not, you know, people want to say, oh, Richard Nixon had to be involved. It's like sometimes things occur in history that is no more than just a happenstance moment that takes place and it happens. 
and it has nothing right. to do with the government's in, involvement. However, that's not to say that they didn't take advantage of the opportunity when it presented themselves. And people have a difficult time, and that's a conspiracy theorist in this, about this saying that Sharon Tate's father, Colonel Tate, was involved with a military conspiracy to put an end to the 60s, to the hippies, and to this and this, and his daughter was a sacrificial lamb, and da-da-da-da-da. And I go, you know, sometimes things happen, and others are smart enough to see that it happened in a political, in a political point and say, we're going to make and take advantage of this moment and use it to our advantage. We, we were not behind it, but we're not dumb and stupid to walk away from the opportunity to take advantage of it, which they obviously did. Sometimes right. you don't right. have to drop a bomb on somebody. Sometimes they blow themselves up. And you can use that to your advantage and spin it Boom. in such a way that it's to your advantage and say, well, you know, there you go. There's some of those, those, those hippies at it again. You see, I told you those hippies were no good. To make social commentary about it is obvious. But to exactly. say that they were involved in, the, in implying that they were directly involved in the murder Right. This was a plan of this. I I just I just say, you know, saying you can go do that. But there are too many things that you can that you can't attribute to him saying, well, then how does it explain that this guy spent 43 years in jail of his life or or, correction of his 43 years when he was alive or whatever, that he spent three quarters of that time in jail. Why would you think that Manson being a willing participant to do the evil hench work, the dirty work for the government? He was right. anti government. It was, like, it was a spiritual movement. And I think, you know, because I think the world just stopped and went, you know what? This is not okay. The acid trips are not okay. The hooking up and housing up with people and having these leaders are not okay. And I think everyone saw that. I mean, it was so evil. And. Maybe the government did say, you know what, we are going to use this, like you just said. You know what, we're going to use this to control our young people. And maybe well, they did. They, took they jumped advantage. on that bandwagon. The old thing, they, they took advantage of the opportunity because it was there to take advantage of. Let's be, fucking, let's be frank and honest here. The government <laughs> is not stupid and isn't, 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 has always been in a position of wanting to take advantage of anything that they can. Meaning that if opportunity provides themselves with the situation, the government will take advantage of it. People have also theorized that that uh, Franklin Roosevelt was behind the uh, the attack at World of uh, Pearl Harbor, and in some cases, some people can make that claim. But it's a little bit far fetched to make the claim after the fact. Saying, "Well, you see, here's a, here we have to be like, no." Unfortunately, people are are fallible. People are fuck ups, to put it bluntly. People mm-hmm. disregarded the information that came in because they didn't think it was important. It was on a Sunday morning. Had that information crossed the gosh, had the attacks taken place on a Monday morning, any other day but a Sunday, the information would have been passed on. I have a feeling in those days it would have been passed on to other people because other people would have been working that day, and it wouldn't have been a day of rest where everybody was lulled into this false sense of security which again has to go back to the planning of the attack in the first place, going back to the Japanese. They knew the American mindset. You can't sit there and say, oh, 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 it was conspiracy. Why? Because somebody fucked up? Sorry. Human beings by nature have, have, have failings, 
failings and sometimes screw-ups take place. And a whole chain of screw-ups takes place where it's, you know, where we knew we were going to be attacked. We didn't know if it was going to be Guam, Saipan, or in the Philippines, you know, or where it was going to be, or Pearl Harbor. We didn't think because that's what happened, but things happen. But to say that he was directly involved, no, he wasn't complicit in the conspiracy to have that happen. But it didn't work into its favor because it shook America from its isolationist roots of pre-1941 to coming out and to fighting like a gosh darn, you know, a wild cat with its tail on fire. And that's what, you know, and people said, well, you know, you know, you know, Franklin Roosevelt knew about it. He was like, that's why he let it happen. He said, he didn't let it happen. No one lets things like that happen. The intelligence right. wasn't as good. You're looking at through, through, through 21st century eyes at the intelligence of 1941. Not the same. We're not, yeah. you can't, and the same thing of Palacio, they just, I just was thinking, the same thing approach applies to the approach that we apply to Sharon Tate's murders. Things that have happened now can happen because there's an internet. Things that took place then were not as interconnected as people would like to say it happened, that this was this and this was this, and I can show you this. And it's like, yeah, I really think that, that Colonel Tate wanted to sacrifice his daughter at the altar to help Richard Nixon's actions against the hippie movement. You know, I just, the, the counterculture, as it was called. I just don't find that plausible. I don't find that believable. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and anyone who's ever seen or, you know, watched an interview um, with him, with Manson, knows. I mean, he you can look at him and you can see evil. I mean, you can see a demon and you can see one of the most horrible people on the planet. But unfortunately, I think our society has gotten so, um, you see it every day now, you know, and Back then, it shook the nation, and it changed the world, but it's so common now. I mean, you can watch the ID channel and see 50, maybe not as horrible as that, because I think that was the most horrible of the horrible ever, maybe because it was the first. But don't you agree that, I mean, society has kind of gotten to the point that we, uh, we're, sadly, we're kind of getting... Um, Used to it. I don't know if that's a word, but used to seeing it. You mean desensitized? Yes, that's the word I'm using. Is, it, is, it, is, this, uh, is this David Irwin? Yeah, that's the one. The poltergeist <laughs> agent himself. How you doing there? Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? This is Bill Bill. Bill Bill, the one-hard tracker from I-64. I was wondering, it's been said that you've been seen driving on over Beverly Hills with a paper sack over your head. Can you elaborate to see if that's a true statement or not? Copy you on that one. Absolutely positively false as it is fake news. I have not, and I repeat, I have not been seen anywhere driving anywhere in the hills of Beverly or otherwise, I do not declare. I declare straightforward. I do not, and I do not drive through the city of Beverly Hills. I fly low, 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 low below the radar. I keep such a low profile. The snails are looking at me, going, "What the hell is that, man?" I don't know. It's something slow and going, but he is low below us, man. Low below the radar. No, I do not. I do not. I do not. I do not. That is not I. 
Who? Who do we have on the phone? Who do we have That's on the phone That's a big here? 10 for. This what? is Bill Bill. Who? My name is Bill Bill. Bill Bill. Bill Bill. I've been following some of your stuff on your Facebook page for a long, long time. I, huh. I, uh, what I wanted to know was, do the spirits, do they talk to you on a normal basis? Is it true that If you're talking about the spirits talking normal to me, half the problem is I am not normal. I'm kind of like Abby normal. Or sabi normal. Sabi normal? Yeah, sabi. Sabi? Yeah, sabi. Yes. Oh, I'm an SOB. A son of a bitch. Don't SOB, sabi. That's sobe. That's SOBE. I'm an SOB. Oh, I'm a, yes, I'm an SOB, they said. I'm nothing normal about me. How can I be a poser guy's agent and be normal? That's certainly not a normal uh, occupation to have. And I certainly am not a normal occupation to be. Or would I, I, could I, I be? Understand. I think I understand because I'm an Aunt Norma too, but that's, that's because that's on my wife's side. I kind of inherited that. You know what I'm saying? I come from the you first census 100. Bill Bill, are you a male? Yeah, I'm a male. You're making fun of well, me. I know of a boy Bill. named Sue. I don't know of a girl named Bill. Well... I'm hearing, yeah, I, I, it's not a female, but we have Bill Bill here. From, where are you from? Me, I'm from Porto, all over the place. I'm from California. I've been a lot of, spent a lot of time in Texas and in New York and Oregon and Washington. I'm from all up and down that corridor. Evan, are you there? <laughs> Did, are you in the hot tub, Evan? Are you still here? Oh, yeah, I was just listening to Bill Bill. Uh, who the hell is this guy? No, what? What? <laughs> I was, what uh, do you uh, is Bill Bill? <laughs> Bill Bill, I have no idea who Bill 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 is. Bill Bill Bill. That's Bill Bill. Bill Bill. Again. It's Kill Bill. Bill, Kill, Bill. Kill Bill. Is this Ron Bell undercover? Because I, I think. I think it's over under. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm thinking as I'm thinking that Bill may have, you know, you mentioned a paper sack that you were wearing. I think he might be wearing that paper sack and driving down through the city of Beverly Hills. I'm just Why would I, first of all, I don't drive around. I, 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 price of gas these days, I, I don't have anywhere to go lately, so I've been just playing low and staying up here and going out with my friends, letting them drive. So, no, paper sack? Why would I want a paper sack? I'm not the unknown comic. That's my check. Yeah. I'm quite known, and I am a comic, but paper sacks have a piece of purpose. I want to be maybe, seen and heard loud and clear. Maybe, yeah, okay. you know, maybe you were, maybe he thought you were, it looks like Bill Bill's not in chat anymore either. He must have got mad and left. But Kill Bill. Kill Bill. That was probably Ron Bill being Bill Bill. Bill Bill. I think <laughs> Kill Bill. <laughs> Good one. That's uh that was a new one yeah. for me. Bill Bill Bill. All right. Well, uh for those that were listening, we had Bill Bill on. Okay. Anybody else out there? 
Uh, I don't know after that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> you don't know I after that not. one. You don't know after. Why not? Who knows if 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 not you that after that one? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that yeah. was easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was from '64. That was Bill Bill. Bill Bill. I call it Kill Bill. Kill Bill. <laughs> Kill Bill now! Wow, you never know who's going to show up here, and I don't even remember oh, saying about. You know, David, you you mentioned about everything you just said. Everything you just said would be the great premise for a book. You know that? No, I know. I, I really, it's it, it's not that. It's a matter of the discipline, and let's be honest here. I've got. From a couple of years ago, my friend Jeff, who I haven't spoken to in five years now, um, he uh, recorded all the seances and all the investigations that we did here before any of the shows were out here. Um, well, it was after the Ghost Hunters was here ten years ago, but we had tons of footage that we had shot, and um, to do the comprehensive, do a comprehensive book, I just have to sit down and do the outline, and then. I have to painstakingly go through about 100 DVDs because each one of the times that he was here, he would record it, and then he'd go painstakingly through the footage, put down all of the interesting stuff, and put it onto a DVD and save it for me and give it to me. And I've never gone through all of them, and there's so many things, I mean, that are reported in, um, I do believe it was Paranormal Witness where they described the seance between myself, him, Alma, and um, his girlfriend, Kat, excuse me, Cashmere, where we had three candles set up, in the, and they were all lit, and the three candles were about a foot apart, and we're all in the third level in the theater room, and I'll never forget this. One of the candles started to literally bend the flame at a right angle, the middle candle, and I looked and I said, oh my God, and I said, do you guys see that? And we're like, oh boy, and so then Alma said, she goes, if you're here, could you give us a sign, could you do something with one of the candles, and I'll never forget it, and this was actually shown on the, um, well, they did reenactment on Paranormal Witness, where the candle started to get, the middle candle started to grow the flame, and the flame started to grow taller and taller and taller, and then all of a sudden, it reached a height of around three inches, and then it progressively became smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till it finally extinguished. Now, meantime, the cam- candles on the left and the right were totally unmolested and totally fine. And, at, you know, it was like, oh, my God. I mean, we have video footage of this stuff, and it's like I'd have to go through all of the hours of footage and then take notes detailed notes or write or video record them i mean audio record them and then be able to re- reference them and put them into a an order you know chronological order of when it took place because each one of them has got a date and a time of when they were recorded that he put down there of the, each one of these um, investigations that we had him we must have had at least 100 investigations between jeff myself and cashmere and even when they were visiting you know, just hanging out, visiting for a barbecue, he would go downstairs and start recording, and stuff would start happening. 
So, I mean, that's part of the, my reluctance is there is just so much footage that, yeah. you know, and, I, and I'll be honest, I am not a paranormal investigator. I'm not. I live in a haunted house. I used to be, as a kid, tired, I want to see a haunted house, and I used to go and explore and find old abandoned houses with friends and stuff. We didn't have any equipment because there wasn't any equipment. We would just use right. our eyes and cameras and can you know, and a flashlight and see stuff. Um, but after living here for 15 years and having all the ghost hunts and and different groups and coming in and stuff and being on a few paranormal investigations, you know, with all the equipment and all the people, I'll tell you the truth. I like. I'm not that <laughs> I don't need to go out searching for haunted houses is what I'm going to say. I find that to me every place is haunted. And a lot it of is. people are a lot of people are going to go, "What do you mean by that?" And what I mean by that is this, I've gone to enough friends of mine's homes that I um, mean Jeff's included as a matter of fact. His was is a great example. I went to his, my parent his mom's house where he was living in um Hancock Park. And I had never been there before, and it's on this big, big piece of property. And it's a corner lot, and it's probably about 100 and maybe 150 foot frontage on the side, and then it goes up about another 80 feet. So it's a pretty good sized lot, maybe 100 foot by 150 foot lot, which is a pretty good sized lot for up here in LA and in Hancock Park. And it's an old lot. And I kept walking through the house and kept on seeing things and feeling things and hearing things. And as I'm walking around upstairs at the top of the stairs, I stopped. And I said, okay. I said, I got it. And I'm talking to him. I said, right here. I said, I feel like there's something crazy right here. Wow, wow, wow. And his mother comes out of, the, out of her room and she goes, what, did you, what about that spot? And I said, I feel like there's somebody here and this and this. And she goes, well... She goes, you've never been here before. I said, nope. And she goes, well, that's funny because that's the spot I keep on seeing the spirit of this man, this and that. He's standing there and he's looking around. And he keeps on like, 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 it's like he wants me to know something. And I tapped into this and I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. And I started saying this place was owned by the mafia, by a mafiosa. And I said, not somebody that's not like today's mafiosas, like a John Gotti. I said, he's one of these. He's guys from like the 20s and the 30s, and it's like wow. And I'm, he's telling me he's like, yeah, well, boy, we had some hellacious parties here. He goes, boy, the broads were and the booze was flowing. I'm going, oh my god. And I keep talking to her and about this, and she says, she goes, you don't know, you really don't know anything about this house. And I said, not a thing. Why? And she goes, she doesn't tells me the whole story of who built it and this and this. And sure enough, everything I've said to her is spot on. And this is an example. Yeah, I don't of, think. I I think every, like you said, they're everywhere. My house is super haunted because I live on a literal Indian burial ground. I did a lot of research on it. And, you know, it's just so normal. Like yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, it was in the evening. Everybody was in bed and I was eating, um, I'm going to have to tell myself, I was eating ice cream out of the carton and standing by the coffee maker. And it's one of the Keurig coffee makers that does not have a timer. And so I'm sitting there, and the water just starts heating up. Coffee maker goes on. I'm like, really? So it's just all the time something. I mean, doors open and close. It's I'm so used to it. 
that, you know, if somebody came in and tried to document all of it, it probably wouldn't happen, or it might. I mean, there have been people here who have seen things fly off the walls, but what is your biggest, like, moment in your house that no one else saw, but it just kind of uh, made, you know, there's always that one moment where you're just sitting there alone, and it happens. Has there been anything like that that... Hey, hey, hold that thought for a second. I want to answer that. I think the biggest moment on my case is when I didn't follow my wife's instructions. I left the mask. Dishes were out. Dishes were not cleaned. The floor hadn't been cleaned. The beds weren't made. The sofas, blankets weren't on nicely. Um, yeah, I left the house a mess. That was probably the biggest ghostly encounter I've had at this place. Okay, back to you, uh, David. Um, well, first thing is, is I want to say is, is that my feeling about burial ground, be it Indian, be it American, be it, you know, it doesn't matter. Burial grounds are not haunted because of the people that are buried there. And I just got the whole picture of why. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, this is the thing. This, this goes back to partially what Barry Taffet said and partially what I've come to understand on my own is that. The burial ground is just a repository for the for the human body. The spirit departs and leaves the body, so to speak, at the point where you die at that location. I was back to so all right, all right, one thing at a time. Yeah, they want me not to forget about the first part about the haunted locations is everywhere. So they said this is it. So what is is what if the people who are the reason? Right, thank you. The reason why certain pla- every place is haunted, but burial grounds, for the most part, is because people, where people have been before you, lived, played, worked, died, had sex, whatever, their energies are still there. That's where they come back to. The reason why burial grounds are haunted is because sometimes when somebody is buried, it, the mourners that are there are mourning the person who has died. And they can't let go of somebody that's died. So there are people that literally, when their father, when their father or mother dies, they can't let go. So they go back to the grave site repeatedly during their lifetime. And it's a place they commune to and they go to. So it's like when you see on a burial ground, you don't see the spirits that, that are buried there. You see the mourners that could not let go of that person who died at that location meandering around and walking around certain graves. With an Indian burial ground, it's the same thing, except there's a deeper connection, and there's a lot more exposure and expression of feeling and emotion. Does that make sense? It does. Hey, David, hold that thought for a second. I just realized that uh, poor author James Hershey Jr. Uh, is in queue. Let's get him uh, into the show here. Hey, James, welcome to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Sorry about the mix-up versus time. That happens from time to time. But welcome to the show, James. Thank you, brother. I apologize, everyone, for, for being late. I thought it was 8 o'clock for some reason. Oh, no problem. No problem. We all get busy doing different things. You got your, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. That's David Oman's fault there because I was laughing so damn hard earlier. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine why you're losing your voice. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that hot tub. It was pretty crazy, James. We had 
some guy call in and call himself Bill Bill. And, you know, <laughs> I, often, I thought that was often, you. <laughs> not, no, I have no idea who this Bill Bill is. Um, are you saying that I walk around with a bag over my head? Or, what the hell? That was me driving around Beverly Hills with a bag over my head. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what is the, what's that? I mean, how do people think of things like that? I mean, how do we do it? Do talk about his paranormal stuff and Charles Manson and Sharon Tate and all of a sudden this guy appears in Q and on the show and he, he's like, you know, he asked David outright, you know, is that you that can see basically driving around Beverly Hills with a bag over his head? I'm, I'm like, uh-oh. Anyway. Yeah, and his name was Bill Bill and he showed Bill up out of nowhere. Yeah, Bill Bill, and then when he was being questioned, he just disappeared. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm suspicious. <laughs> uh, well, you're a suspicious type anyway, so good. <laughs> Bill, Bill was talking with me now. How the hell can I do two voices? If I could do two voices, I'd be in Vegas. Oh, don't mention Vegas. God, God I want to go. <laughs> no, really, okay. uh, anyway. So we're just having fun today and, and uh, just, you know, talking about whatever, whatever. And so, um, gee, what do you got planned? What's going on there, James? You've been doing so many different shows. I can't I, I can't keep track. You do one show, and then I'm like, wait a minute, this is a different show. Then the next time, a different show. I'm like, man, he's getting busy. So you're really having fun on the radio, and, and I've listened to a couple here in a row, and it seems like every show you're doing is getting better and better. So, uh, prompts for doing that. It's fun doing that, and you had some very valid points there. Um, but anyway, I'm going to give you the floor a little bit so you get a little bit of talk time in, too. And, um, you know, if you want to give David Ullman hell, hey, now I'm catching enough hell from people saying that the bug walking across the lens making that image look like a shadow, and I can see the legs on that video that was shot on Saturday from the closed-circuit ta- camera on the front door of the house. It's ridiculous. Everybody's a fucking expert. Pardon my French. I'm like, really? I tested, I tried, I tried to debunk it. You know, I couldn't come up with anything close to manufacturing that kind of a shadow effect moving across the frame like it is. So. You always have stuff like that happening, and we were just talking about that, and, and James is a horror author, and so maybe you could share some ideas of what's happened with you there. I mean, the real stuff. Hmm. I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't know, I don't know where to begin. I don't. I don't have the stuff like David has, man. David lives in a in a crazy, crazy world over there at his place. I mean, that, that is it is insane. I've, I've actually went to your uh, YouTube page, brother, and I've checked out some of the videos, and I'm like, damn, no wonder the Ghost Adventure Boys ran away. It's kind of spooky. <laughs> They're the only ones. That's the joke. For so much for those professionals, he could stay here for three hours, and then he literally was was shown the door by the spirits because they said, hey. 
you know something? You're a fraud, man. You're somebody we don't like in the house. We don't like people like you. And I've seen it before with other people that, that have entered the house that have literally ran out saying, you know, I just don't feel comfortable. I'm getting, getting fingers running through my hair and running up and down my back, and it's like I don't feel comfortable. And my response is, well, this isn't a place for you to be visiting then. And they're telling you in so many words, get the hell out. Yeah, you see that more and more often in, in this field now, man. You've got a lot of people that, that are pretending to be experts in a lot of different fields. And it's, it's uh, that's one thing I'm doing now with uh, Serenity Broadcasting that I started. I've got three different shows that I do every week. And, like, I do a show called The Writer's Block, which I do, like, all kinds of history. Uh, I just started a serial killer series. I just did Manson, actually. Was my last oh, wow. Yeah, I thought of you the whole time I was doing it. So I was like, man, I should have had David on, man. Should have called me up, please. I'd love to be on, especially after ABC did their special on Manson on Monday night. I mean, on Friday night. That was just like, I was like, I'm not watching this. Why? I've seen all this stuff before. I've seen everything they're going to put on there. And I've done, I've even seen more stuff than that can be on there because it's still locked up at LA. PD in the in the fire in the secret vault. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I've seen the pictures of all the all that they have in the files of the Tate murders, and you know, these are the ones that are still locked up in the in the vault because they didn't want it. They still think, as the as the detective said to me, goes, this stuff is considered still too powerful and too, you know. It's, it's 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 still too unsettling for the public to see. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and it's also not right. It's because it's exploitive to show these pictures. And I said, I, I mean, like I said, I was there to look at pictures to see if what was on the property here when they found the bodies. So, I mean, I figured maybe they threw a bloody knife or some rags on the side of the hill that is now where the house stands. But I didn't see anything like that. All I saw was every single picture from LaBianca's house. And then the next day I was down, I had to come back down there. I saw the pictures from the Tate murders. And that was just like, uh, it was like 900 and some odd photographs. And I'm telling you, man, I said, how come I've seen some of these pictures on the Internet? He goes, well, some of them were, were taken from the files before we decided to, to put the files and lock them up because some of the you know people had access to them and you know some of them got were stolen and stuff and he goes but these are ones you're never going to see the light of day. I said that's cool and I said but then I had to seek approval for the photos I wanted to use for a book the book I was going to write. I said look if there's anything that was found on my property I'd like to know it because maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a bunch of those pics online when I was doing the research for the show. I know a lot about Manson because I was fascinated with that whole case when I was younger. So I've done a lot of study on it anyway. But every time I do a show, I, I do, like, a, a lot of research to make sure that I know what the hell I'm talking about, basically, on each show. And that's one of the things I'm excited about about this new network is that I have that show where I'm doing history. I have Staring into the Abyss, which is a paranormal show. And on that show, I like to go into the, the lore of a lot of the old, like, mythical creatures and the legends. Like, uh, last week, we did the Kappa, which is a Japanese uh, demon spirit that likes to drown people in, in lakes and rivers. And I like, I like getting all that kind of info out because in the old days, what we would have to do is we'd have to go to a bunch of different libraries and find a bunch of old dusty books to find this information. And now with the Internet and especially with YouTube, I mean, the opportunities to, to give that information to people for free, you know what I mean, is it, wonderful. And so that's what I like to do on that show. And I like to have experts on that show, too, experts in the paranormal, that can really give the listeners 
the real stuff. You know what I mean? Because like you were saying, there's a lot of guys running around who say they're ghost hunters and all this kind of stuff, and they're just not the real deal. I like to bring the real people. You know what I mean? Of and course. Um, he can't, he's cutting he can't, out. I can barely hear him. Yeah, I can barely hear him, too. But I know what he's talking about. James and I did a show on Mary Magdalene, and I checked out three books from the library and read them, like, in two days. And we did an awesome show with awesome facts, and I think that's what he's talking about. Um, he would love to have the real person talk about oh, of course. the real things, and that's what he does on the writer's block. You know, he always um, includes the truth. And that's what we do with Mary Magdalene. Don't even get me started on that. But we had a, it was a great <laughs> yeah. show. Is, is he still to, there? I try to bring the, the actual facts. You know what I mean? I, I do a hell of a lot of research on these shows. And I try to bring the actual facts. And, and I always tell the truth. At, at least the truth as I know it. You know what I mean? And I'm never afraid to say anything, no matter how unsettling it is. And there's been times actually doing research where when I came out of the other end of the research, I had a completely different opinion of, of the subject than I had when I went into it. You know, because the facts actually changed my mind, which is, is a really cool thing for me as well. So I think that's a rare opportunity that we have, not only myself, but, but Evan, Kelly, all of you guys, that we have because we're doing radio hey, shows here. Where we can hold on, hey, James. The public. Hey, James, this is Evan. Can you move to a different area? Oh, we lost him again. Yeah, we lost him. He's fading in and out. Sometimes it's just the area. You have to move to a more secure area. Uh, that happens. But uh, go ahead and fill in for me, uh, uh, Kelly. I've got something I have to do for a few minutes, and then I'll be right back. Shut up, bastard God. <laughs> You know, sometimes uh, yeah. discretion can be respectfully given from that spiritual level to this one over on this side of the plane of existence. I don't need to hear a visual, and I don't need a guy's on remote viewing ceremony here. Thanks. Boy. He's going to the bathroom. The first words out of their mouth is, he's going to the John. It's like, shut up. Some people have to go because they're still alive. Table your commentary for a little. That's not necessary. Thank you. No, I'm not going to the bathroom. I've got two puppies here. so oh, They're going puppies. to the bathroom. All right. Yeah, two puppies. Y'all no always bring that up. You always tell me y'all. Yeah, now I'm going to have to visualize that. Great. That's what they were. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, what James was, you know, what he was saying is, especially when we did the Mary Magdalene special, right. I had a completely different opinion of Jesus and Mary Magdalene after we did that. Because I, you know, there were so many hidden scripts and there were so many things that weren't in the Bible. And so we, we had a really, really good show. And I think that's what he's talking about. He likes to do things where, um, and if he's listening, I hope he's listening. He likes to do things where you actually do real research. You don't just talk out of your butt. You just do real research, and you come to different conclusions than when you started. And I think that's exactly what would happen 
if you were on his show. Because, you know, so many people see the Manson people now. They don't they don't remember or or I remember, but a lot of younger people don't remember. And there's still a lot of younger people are really interested. So I think it's really important to do the research and throw that truth out there. And did you David, did you get um to look at any of the crime scene pictures? Um you know, like yes. the real uh, Yes. I can't even imagine. Was it Yeah, was I, it I saw everything. I saw them on the morgue. I saw Sharon on the morgue. I saw Abigail on the morgue. I'll never forget it. Over her let me get this straight. It was over her left, right over her left, uh, across her left cheek was a laceration about four inches wide, I mean long, by about a half an inch wide. And it was it was just horrendous. And it was just, they were all, all the, uh, you remember how they said they, Sharon was stabbed 16 times? Yes, stabbed. Stabbed in, in terms of when you're talking about a mortician's commentary, means an inflicted impalement of a knife blade into one's body. That does not include the multiple lacerations, which are called lacerations, meaning defensive wounds, where they had her arms, left and right arms, literally one on top of the other. And you could see where she was literally putting her arms up, and it was one cut from the, that went from the right arm, right across the right arm, right through the left arm, as if... She was that like was, blocking, like she was putting up her arms, both of her arms, to block a, a slash coming down. It was just horrendous. I mean, it's it just, it, I, I, just, just, just like I said, just terrible. That's why I saw the picture of Jay Sebring, where I said, "Oh my God, that's it!" And there was a photograph, an eight by ten photograph of Jay Sebring with his hair curly, and I was like, going, "Oh my God, it's the same image that I saw when I saw Jay's spirit." couple months earlier or yeah, like a year earlier or whatever it was at the foot of my bed because I didn't recognize him at the time because Jay that I Jay Sebring photographs that I had seen he had straight hair and it was always parted on one side well apparently wow. Jay had used hair relaxant because he had kinky hair so he liked in mm. the 60s the big thing was having straight hair so he had this hair stuff relaxant in his hair and in this one picture on the back of the picture it says jc bring with his natural hair style and i go oh my god that's why when i saw mm-hmm. him as a ghost it wasn't the, it didn't like smash me over the head like that's jay that's who you're seeing it's like uh-uh it was his natural hair it's like oh my god right. you know i saw yeah, that, um that's the that's the thing too that people don't realize i mean manson is one of those figures that was turned into a pop cultural icon and people almost worship the ground the man walked on. I mean, he's a rock star, you know what I mean? In, in that world. And people don't realize, especially nowadays, because they're so far removed from the actual crime. They don't realize just how vicious and how crazy he was, you know, and, and how scary it was during that time period, especially for like the celebrities and stuff in the area. I mean, they went out and hired all this extra security because nobody felt safe, you know, because if he could get to Sharon Tate, that he could get to anybody. And people just don't realize that anymore because they're so far removed from the actual crime, and he's been turned into something now that he never was in real life, you know? 
I think that's a great point that you made. Yeah, well... Right, we were talking about that that earlier, James, and it's like, you know, if you look at the people now that were involved in the crime, you know, they found Jesus. They're, you know, repenting. They're changing their stories. But that doesn't take away from the original evilness and the horrific moment in time where that happened. You know, you can go to jail and be there for 43 years and things change. And that's what people are seeing now. But they don't see what you were talking about, that evil, horrible moment where the crime happened. Exactly. And it was it was literally mind control that he used. Because no, he would use LSD. Yeah, no. he would use LSD on his followers. And he would tell no, stories about no, how he was. No, I'll be the first to tell you. I, I've actually met the followers. I met Lynette Squeaky Farm. She was in the backseat of my mother's car when I was a kid, months before the murders took place. They weren't under an LSD, and I knew, and I, and I knew kids that were old, that my sister's age were older in their teens, and in that era, and that day and age. And I'll tell you this: nobody, and nobody can give anybody LSD and tell me that LSD is going to make you become a murderer. I'm sorry, that's just not the facts. And having known people that have done acid, and having experienced what I've experienced in the day and the in that in what I saw in that day and age, that's a cop out. That's a plain, simple cop out. That's that's not even bad. That's just that's just not. That's like saying pot can make you. That's like saying reefer madness is a documentary based on fact. No, unfortunately, LSD cannot make you. There is no drug that can make you a killer. That's a fact. I'm sorry. No, the LSD. The LSD, no, the LSD can't. And it wasn't Manson. And it wasn't Manson's programming either. The the girls were. And again, watch the movie Manson. And you watch that documentary, it's 60 minutes long, and you, don't, you can see these girls weren't this and that. It wasn't any of that. They, weren't they didn't follow masses. They wanted to willingly. They were looking for They were de- rejected by their families. They, I knew girls. I, look, my friend's brother, who was a couple years older than I was, was getting beaten by his father from an upper-middle-class family with a goddamn leather belt, two-inch-wide leather belt routinely and the kid was 15 years old and the kid's father used to beat the crap out of him do you want to know why because that's the way parents disciplined their children in 1969 that's the way things were done kids rebelled kids ran away from home kids were looking for love and affection they were looking for a stable secure life they weren't getting that from their parents. Their parents were still living in the, from the mentality of the 50s, and, the, these, and these people were conservative Republican family and an upper-middle-class household that I used to see. And his father, when his, when his brother, his father got winded, his brother had done something that wasn't terrible. His father would say, get over here, and would shut the door to the kid's bedroom, and I would hear from outside the bedroom the kid screaming bloody murder as his father was slamming that damn leather belt on his ass. And that had nothing to do with Charlie Manson or anything to do with that he could have provided them with, but a safe haven 
from the treatment that was a lot largely pretty much the rudimentary basis for the gastron disciplining of children in that era by these kids. And these are also the kids and the family households we're talking about that were the conscripts of the Manson family. They were all upper middle class. They weren't poor. They came from the same kind of family that I used to see my friend's brother get his ass whipped by his father. That was coming home at 5 o'clock, 5.30, he'd come, I'd be at my friend's house, and his father would go right to the Gostron bar and make himself a stiff one, just like Mad Men. And unfortunately, that is a pretty clear reflective experience of the way it was for those people in those days. And I used to see it in my friend's house and going, Jesus Christ, my parents aren't like this. My parents are different, but I saw it. I saw it, and I said, wow, that's a shock. These parents drove these kids out of their home, so they ran away and were looking for, for something better than getting their ass beaten. So when they found Manson and other communes, and Manson was one of many, and some of these kids fell in there, they were under the, the conscripts of, you know, they, they believed in him. They gave him a safe haven, and that's what all the shows talk about. They said he, they gave him a safe, he gave them a safe place that they would be loved and nurtured and expression of their feelings would not be diminished and looked down upon and frowned upon and chastised. So that's why they ended up there. They felt that he was a father figure to them. But there could be another argument. It could be another argument there too, David. Uh, it's a well known fact that the CIA and our government had had really indoctrinated LSD. They used it for mind control purposes since the early 40s. Well, they tried. They tried. That's why it was abandoned in the 50s. And that's why the CIA program, where that famous doctor who jumped off the thing, didn't jump off the gosh darn balcony. He was pushed off because he knew too much. That's a fact. And when they exhumed his body and they checked out the LSD, they, that they said there were levels of chase LSD, but not enough to force him to jump off the balcony, and that there were, there were things on his fingers where he was grabbing onto it, and there were bruises cons, you know, consistent with somebody grabbing on and trying to defend yourself, and he had a blow to the head. He was pushed off the balcony and basically thrown off and killed because he knew too much. LSD, they found out, does not make you and give you the ability to control people. That's why LSD was dismissed by the government as a use of mind control. It didn't work. And that's a fact. It is. What I'm saying saying is not that they were robots, brother. I'm not saying he controlled them like a puppeteer. What I was saying is he used the LSD to tell them stories about his divinity, so to speak, to build himself up, to make him into almost like a Christ-like figure, and that's why they were willing that. to do anything he said. Nah, nah, no. You, 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 you put too much weight in the idea that, that somehow that that was an addictive, that, that LSD. Look, EST, E-S-T, back in the 70s, that was also like Life Spring, another one of these things, didn't use any drugs whatsoever, to decontrol, to de- deconstruct the individual and recreate them in a new brain, so to speak. They used no drugs. That's what I'm saying to you. Putting some idea that, that he was able to use LSD to, to manipulate and help facilitate what he did, you, 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 take, you take away too much of, of, the, of the fact of the willingness of these people and the willingness of human beings even in this day and age. I'll give you this example, 1975, Jonestown, Guyana. 
960 people, all, most of them, three-quarters of them, voluntarily committed suicide. There was no LSD present. There was Jim Jones. People will follow someone when they feel that they are somebody that they can trust. You gain someone's trust. You can control them just by that. You offer them hope. You offer them a sense of confidence and a sense of respect, whether or not it's real. You can control anyone. That's called sociopathism. Somebody that's a sociopath can do any of that and doesn't need, any, it, it doesn't need a drop of alcohol or drugs or anything. It's just simple, old-fashioned sociopath control. And that's what Manson did. He saw their weaknesses, he exploited them and worked on them and said they needed to feel comfortable, confident, and respected and loved. If you give them that, they will follow you to the end of the earth. That's nothing new. That's something because that historically you don't, you don't need drugs for that. And the idea that you're saying, well, LSD facilitates, no, 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 no. Trust me, people don't need drugs. They did the drugs because they enjoyed it because it was a thing of the time, of the era. But through the centuries, people have followed people throughout the centuries without the use of drugs, but simple, simple, simple psychology of summing up the individual and realizing what it is, where their weak points are, and working on them. And that's exactly. you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm not right. saying that LSD was the only factor that he used. I'm saying that's one of the things he used to facilitate that. The main I'm thing he used that, was religion and, and exactly I'm what saying that, uh, What I'm saying is this is LSD or not, poof, doesn't matter. Didn't have any effect on it. Had no effect upon what he was able to do. Because what he was preaching was he broke them down psychologically. He, okay. LSD is not going to make you want to have sex with a dozen people. No way, no okay, how, I, not even a chance. Like I said, what he did was he psychologically deconstructed them, just like Est did, just like LifeSpring did. That is where you take the individual and you break them down to the fact of where there's nothing left of the individual, that all they've been taught, which is exactly what Manson did, is wrong. And you preach all about what their falsehoods are that they've been lied to. That's I say, the LSD, I I, I say this, Jesus Christ. All right, when I was freaking 16 years old, I did two hits of blotter acid at one time. And I didn't sit there and have revelations of Jesus and see things. What I did was I looked at my life and I said, you know something, I've been a shitheel to some people in my life. And I said, you know something, I'm going to go backwards for the past 10, 12 years of all of my friends that I remember. And I went through chronologically and I said, I've got to call this person up and I've got to make my amendment peace with this person it was a reflective experience but i realized saying you know these people are saying it's going to make your life i said no you know saying it opens your eyes up and makes you have to look at yourself as who you are and what you are and if you choose to you have to come to grips with it and that's what i kept you on know, saying, I- saying you know saying this lsd thing is always it's like it doesn't do anything to you it opens your mind up and makes you have to be your own therapist and your own analyst to say you know Here's your life in a nutshell. Look at all the things you've done. And, and like I said, it didn't help, it didn't help me to, to realize anything but the fact that you know, you know saying, from now on you've got to become an adult and you've got to stop doing things in a way that you can't think it, has an, it doesn't have an effect upon others. Your actions have an effect on other people. So be careful how you proceed in your life from this point on and make sure that when you say something, you mean it and you own up to it. Don't say something because somebody wants to hear it. Say it because it's the truth. 
because if you know that's what? the case, you can't be a liar. Right, David, I understand exactly what both of you are saying. You know, you were talking about the breakdown of the family and how it, it was pretty violent back in the day. I mean, I rem- my grandpa was a Southern Baptist preacher. I remember, you know, how it, um, how the family was affected. I mean, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of violence in that situation. And so now you have people who are um, absolutely looking for love (laughs) and you have a psychotic freak like Manson who saw that and used it. But then you also have the LSD and uh, people who have never used drugs and it might have affected their thought process as, you know, maybe he controlled them through not only psychology, but through the drugs. As we said, they were willing participants. And like I said, when you watch the video, when he, and he's already been in jail six months after this has been, while well, this is being shot. <clears throat> when you hear them clearly and you watch them, you go, oh, my God, these girls aren't stoned. They're not stupid. And the clarity in which they're speaking and the, the, the deliberateness, and you go, Okay, there's nothing there's nothing about LSD, there's nothing about and I've seen people who are stoned and these kids were like sober as a gosh darn heart attack. I was like and that's what's so shocking. When you listen to them you go, Oh my god, I don't understand. I can't I can't I can't I can't understand where this devotion is to them and the only time I've seen this kind of devotion is to a religious figure. Like I said, with Jim Jones, when these people from the Jim Jones and the, the People's Temple of Guyana, they willingly decided to, to drink the Kool-Aid and commit suicide. And some of them didn't, but for the most part, the majority of them went willingly. And but it that's had exactly nothing what to I was do saying. With, See, listen, has to here's do with, the thing. All right. He, they, they, he they didn't do any else. Jimmy high. Jones didn't do the drugs, though. No, you're not listening. They weren't high when they did the murders. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he used LSD as a form of behavioral control. It's already it's been proven that the CIA did the same thing with the Project Monarch stuff. I mean, it's it's been used. Project in the Monarch past. was a failure. That's why it was dropped first and foremost. I know about Project Monarch. It was dropped. It was found to be a complete failure. That's why the conspiracy theorists don't want to admit it didn't work. And that's why it was dropped. That's why, that's why the same thing with the Cambodian, with the, whatchamacallit, uh, candidate, the Manchurian candidate, doesn't hold water. It doesn't work. I'm sorry to break it to you. The human mind can only be controlled by one individual, and that's by the self. You can't. Jim Jones didn't use LSD, did he? Did he ever I'm not at all? Saying, you're he not was, listening to me. Jimmy Jones that's did the problem. Have, you just won't listen. I just used an example of something that's pretty clear. Jim Jones was anti-drugs in the middle of the drug era when he started in 1964 in San Francisco and had the People's Temple there and then turned out and moved down to Guyana in 72. He never did drugs, nor did any of his people do drugs. So you can't explain to me how 960 people followed his edicts and took, and took let's say 900 of the 960, took the the Kool-Aid willingly, but never engaged in ever did he ever do anything but psychological 
usage of mind control, sociopathic mind, con- mind usage. He didn't use any drugs. So I'm saying to you, there's an example, 10 times worse than Sharon Tate's a few years later. It's, it's the same exact principle, though. Listen, hear me out. Let me, let me say it. It's the exact same principle. Charlie used LSD to put them in an altered state of consciousness where he tried to make them believe that he was Jesus Christ. It's a religious aspect behind that control. Jonestown was the exact same thing. Those people believed that they would go to heaven if they did what what Jones said. Same thing with Charlie. It's not the LSD that made them killers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he used LSD to change their thinking so that he could get in there and he could needle with their brains like, like the con man that he was. I'm not saying it's the LSD that made them kill. I'm not saying they were high and that's why they killed. What I'm saying is he used the LSD as a, as a way to transport them into a place in their mind to where they were perceptive and receptive to the programming that he was trying to give them. That was my point. But Jim Jones didn't use LSD, is my point. But he, so but your he point is Secondly, LSD only lasts. First of all, a, you have a total misconception of LSD. LSD, and they used to call it the trip, is limited. It does not have a profound esoteric sensation that continues permanently in one's brain. I'm sorry to say that to people that don't understand the qualified understanding of LSD. It does not stay in your brain, and you are not continuously high for the rest of your life. You come back to your organic and nobody, state of being. Nobody is saying that, David. Nobody is saying that. But, but the, what, does stay, that what, what does stay, now listen, what does stay yeah. long term is the beliefs that you form in your brain while you're under the influence. You may no. not be high years down the road, but if you come to a conclusion <laughs> that this man is Jesus Christ, you're going to believe that. And you saw that in the, in the, even after the trial, like you were saying, how they are still following it. And but, you see it to this day, people still follow it. But, you know what I mean? It's not saying, because they were on LSD. It's because of the programming he used. The LSD was just a tool to open that doorway in their mind. That's what I'm saying. So how did Jim Jones because do it, it without the LSD saying. is what I'm saying to you. I'm using, I'm using scientific principle and methodology. If you're saying A is possible, then, then B must be possible, and it doesn't hold water. B is, B, is, B is good old Jim Jones. A is Charlie Manson. Both are similar mind controls. I'm saying to you, if, if A is Charlie Manson, and he used LSD, and he, he controlled seven people to do this, this bidding, and believe that, or ten people to believe that he's Jesus Christ, What's the excuse then for the explanation for Jim Jones and 960 people doing the same thing, except not killing someone else, taking it to a step that's even further beyond killing someone other than yourself? You're not talking about somebody taking away their own life. So then you want to tell me that if Jim Jones is capable of doing this without LSD, why does LSD have to be the thing that, that Charlie was able to do with these people to go out and commit a lesser crime of killing somebody else instead of taking one's own life, which is tantamount to basically extinguishing one's own life, which is the antithesis of natural instinctual behavior? There's yeah, the difference. Hold that thought for a second. You know, now when you guys were talking about, you know, LSD and so on, I'm, I'm just going to drop the ball there. I studied to be a drug and alcohol counselor, so I'm going to just elaborate a little bit what LSD actually does for people that are listening because they don't realize or you may not realize. But LSD is really a drug that is known for having bad trips. It's odorless, colorless, and it's, it has a taste, but it's, very, it's a very sour, uh, somewhat bitter taste, all right? 
it's known, but the chemicals that are in LSD, and I know I could go into details forever on that, but it is a mood enhancing, mood altering, mood changing drug. Uh, it's a it's a lysergic acid, um, and it it is definitely. Uh, a mind-altering drug when you're on this trip, and there's no way you can take LSD and not be on some sort of a trip. That's what right. it's for. That's what it does. So that's how Charles Manson used his people uh, to, to, you know, that's why they went out basically and committed these horrific uh, atrocities and crimes. Um, they were they were always on a trip. It's not just you know, hey, let's smoke a bowl of weed and. And uh, go out and kill people. I, I don't. It, again, it again, time. again. We don't know if that how how to what extent that statement is true, because who are you gonna who are you gonna go back to and use as a reference point that's gonna give you the lowdown of what the process was, fifty years later. Like, yeah, the only happened. thing I'm going by is the video, and you watch this video, and he's implanted there, and they have brought him in and have accepted him as the, as part of the family. And you watch the movie, and you tell me what you think, because these girls are not high on acid. I'm sorry. I've seen Peace Bill on acid, and these girls are as clear as a bell communicating and trying. Their eyes are clear. They're focused. Their communicating is so scarily, eerily just just clear. It's not there's no doubt about what they're saying. And they're not high. They're talking just rational and talking as a matter of factly, well, you know, this is what we believe and blah 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 and da 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 and I'm going, Oh my God, this is wild. And it's on YouTube. You can watch clips of it on YouTube and you'll see what I'm saying to you. There's nothing about them. And again I go back to my point. If Jones Jim Jones was able to do what he was doing without the use of acid to make people commit suicide willingly. There's no one in this earth that's going to say to me that there's, an, there's any culp, culpable connection between Manson using acid to control these people and get them what they're doing. It's like, I don't, I don't buy that story. I actually know Bill, Jan Barry lived around the corner from my parents' house. That's why I have so much interaction with the girls and why my house was in, invaded twice during two times during 1970 and 1971, and they, they did the creepy crawlies at my house, at my house, on two yeah. different occasions. So, I mean, I have a different perspective because I've been in their presence before the murders and would never be in their presence after because my mom stopped giving them the hitchhiker's rides. But those girls used to be dropped off at my parents' house, and we'd walk up another half a mile to Jan Berry's house, which was around the corner, who was friends with the Beach Boys, and that's why I know them. And I used to hang out at Jan's house because his brother, his younger brother, um, Billy, was a friend of mine, and I used to be up there. So I saw these people firsthand as a kid. And whether you say it, I was like, oh, you didn't remember. It's like, no, I remember. It was burned in my memory because I remember hanging around these people going... Ooh, there's just something a little bit funky and strange about them. I can't put my finger on it. And it was like, I just got this weird vibe, like I said, with them. But it wasn't like they were high and like I was afraid. It was like they were in a, in a, in a, in a Zen-like state like the Hare Krishnas used to be when they were walking around. They had this like a Buddhist monk type of a feeling about them, about like they were in that in ethereal cloud of love and, and, and just 
I'm sorry to say that's what it was. But LST didn't make them into killers, didn't get them to become less available to become programmed by Manson because they didn't have to be. It's so simple. He did what he did just like a sociopath does. You work their brains. LSD doesn't help you become more advanced and able to be pliable, to be manipulated into falling into a cult. I'm sorry. Right. Like I said, Jim Jones is an well, example. He did what he did, and these people committed suicide. That's not killing somebody else and living. That's killing yourself and dying. More on the right. line to do that. I'd say if you had an LSD story that made sense, show me some people that 960 people that took acid that were affected by Jim Jones, and I'd say, yeah, I'll believe you that LSD could do that to people. But in circumstances of Manson killing other people, no. I don't see that. Right. I see, I right. see, you know, that's why I said the argument doesn't hold water if you're going to say, well, you got this and you got this. Well, you're, arguing, you're arguing against an argument I'm not making. Here, here's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you, okay, that Manson is the one that programmed those people. Manson is the one that caused them to act the way they acted, not the LSD. I agree with you. What I'm I don't, saying I, is LSD is used as a way to open the mind to lower down your mental guard so that you are more susceptible to that programming. That's what I'm saying. I don't agree. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Well, no, we, uh, we're still disagreeing. I don't agree that that's the case. If anything, it strengthens the individual. Why? Because it makes you have to li- deal with your own problems and look at yourself through your own eyes, not through somebody else's. So it's a very, very, very interpersonal experience, which means that the experience is not shared with others like somebody else can get inside your head and start telling you what to think, which is what people that have never experienced it come to that conclusion of. If you've ever put yourself, like Hunter S. Thompson said, it's a mind-expanding experience to an individual, not to a group. It's individual. It's very personalized, meaning that no one else can get in your head but you. It's all about introspection, not allowing someone else in there to play with you. That's why I said these ideas are spoken by people that have never been under the influence. So it's hard to speak if you've never gone to to the other side and experienced that experience. So to comment is like Hunter S. Thompson said, until you've been there, shut the up and don't tell me what you don't know. You haven't been. You don't know. So I make blanket statements saying, oh, this is what happens. It's like, really? Have you had a drink in okay. your life? Okay. Let's do this. I've seen people I've seen people that were on LSD that we had to tie to a chair because they were trying to cut their own pecker off because they thought it was trying to kill them. So you can't tell me that LSD doesn't fuck up your mind and make you do dumb stuff. And having make you a bad, crazy stuff having a bad trip, did he do it to somebody else? Did he do that yeah. to someone else? Did he try to but kill somebody else's cases, pecker? There's been cases where it has happened. There's been cases where people have murdered people thinking they were dragons and stuff like that under the influence of LSD. LSD is not some happy, hippie uh, drug. Uh, have you ever you taken just LSD? LSD? I'll just and, put it to you. I'll put it to the floor. If you haven't gone there, have you ever experienced it yourself? There's still the conscience. There's still the conscience. If you've never been, and, you can't communicate it. And Hunter S. Thompson right. did over a thousand hits of LSD and came back to write multiple stories about it. So I have a funny feeling that sometimes some people that are said to be doing LSD aren't doing LSD, but are doing something else. And somebody who doesn't know what they're taking says, oh, they did LSD. It's like, no, they were doing some totally different drug. And funny thing is, is that's what's happening today with Flacca and people are taking people and trying to kill them because they're doing some gush on mind-altering drug that's some chemicals, you, and they're you turning have to into be zombies. Screwed up. 
Before, wow. You have to be screwed up before you ever get to the LSD. My exactly. If you're screwed up and you do but, something, and it's like what you're playing the LSD, the black person was mentally deranged no, to I begin think, with. I really have something to say to you guys. My husband has been sober for 35 right. years. He's a drug and alcohol counselor, was. He's not now because I didn't make enough money. But he produced, manufactured, and took LSD every day for two years back in the day. He's very sober and helps people now. But he had a conscience, and that's what I'm saying. If you have a conscience and you do LSD, you're not going to murder people. You have True. to be exactly, exactly, driven exactly, exactly. And, that, and he's an extreme case to take that many hits of LSD, and my God, oh, that's, I know. that's lucky he's alive because – no, and again, I'm saying taking, again, you're talking an extreme case of like an alcoholic that drinks morning, noon, and night. And I've seen those people. Right. And I've had right. things like that, and he I don't was. talk to them anymore. And that's an, that's an addictive personality. Again, it could be LSD, it could be tobacco, it could be alcohol, it could right. be pot, it could be speed, it could be it doesn't pool, matter. anything. It doesn't matter. It's just that type of personality. And that has so, nothing to do with the okay. narcotic. That's well, about the individual. He had a conscience, and he got out of it. Good. He had a reflective moment. Good for him. Thank God. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. In 1967, a psychologist and psychedelics proponent, Timothy Leary, told him to call him and Young Gate Park to turn on, tune in, and drop out. It was a turning point in how Synthesized 29 years earlier in the lab of Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman. was understood as right. a potential causal force. Three years later, the President Richard Nixon would sign the Controlled Substance Act, officially classified the LSD as a Schedule One offending drug, a federally declared substance with no potential for use. And no medical benefits. All right. Yeah, and, and we, know, we, we all know why he did that, don't we? We all know why Richard Nixon created that whole thing, and that goes back to what we said about the conspiracy theory that Nixon wanted to implement to basically to disempower the counterculture. That's why LSD was put on Schedule 1. That's why marijuana was put on Schedule 1. That's why that whole scheduling system was put about. It was a political stunt. And it's been proven to be an absolute failure 40 years plus late, 45 years later. Yes, I'm very familiar with it. It's the joke of jokes. That's why Big Pharma is allowing you to is allowed to make manufacture of opioids, which we are even proven to be detrimental uh. to life and limb. But meantime, right. marijuana and LSD, which is a matter of fact, has been used in the treatment at the at the VA for PTSD present day to help those people. So much for the idea that LSD belongs on the Schedule One narcotic scheduling, just like marijuana. It doesn't, and it's been proven in Israel that marijuana has the medical therapeutic factors available to it, but big pharma and political associates that like not to be caring about the health and welfare of the well-being of the people in public would like to keep it that way, illegal mm -hmm. and off the boards for big money and big pharma. So as far as I'm concerned... I don't need to hear a history lesson in the Schedule One and, and President Richard Nixon and creating that horse shit 
scheduling thing, which was nothing more than his way of basically trying to reclassify who's going to go to jail and who's going to not go to jail, because that's what that was about. That was all about right. trying to get rid of the young, the young anti-Nixonites and throw them in jail, because he called them subversives. Again, yeah. the, the fact no. that, right. that Manson, back to my thing, LSD is, is usable. I don't believe using it every day is a good idea. I think that's nuts. But the fact that it's been proven present day that PTSD, some people suffering, you know, soldiers or vets coming back from the war, it helps them in some cases resolve their, un, their unresolved issues. Hell, these poor bastards put their life on the line for this country. That's the least we could do is explore what's going to help them matriculate back into the mainstream because right now they have some problems that need to be addressed, and we're casting them aside, and it sickens my gut to hear what's going on in the government and how we're treating our vets, yet we're willing to send them off and make a dollar on their back for each gosh darn guy that's sent over because they're out with all this equipment, but then they come Amen. back and they're hurt, and we're not willing to spend a dollar to protect them and bring them back to life and help them. Amen. It's a sick, disgusting thing. And I've met some of these poor kids that have been here to go on tours to visit and say, no, no, you're coming for free. If you're coming to my house, you're a guest of mine. Right. You I know. had a friend that blew his head off about a year oh, ago. God. God. Um, God. He was, you know, he was a very, very, very good friend of mine. He came back, you know, and, and couldn't cope. There was no time to get him in because it takes months and months to get in to take care of the PTSD. And I think that I, I so agree with you right now. I mean, he would have been here. It, it's been a year, Evan. It's been yeah. a year since that yeah. happened. But I think what, you know, I, I think what I'm hearing is that, you know, if I took LSD, if I did a hit of, Whatever I've never taken LSD, but if I did, if I was shut up with heroin, if I did cocaine, if I drank too much, I would never kill another human being because that's no. not in my makeup. I could never do that. So there had to be some type of evil, some type of psychology that he used knowing because he's so evil, he knew, he knew that these kids didn't have a place to go. They were hurt, and they needed love, and evilness took over. I really believe he was a demon, and maybe the LSD did kind of sway them in that direction if they've never done drugs. It was hatred from years. I'm telling you right now, I'm getting it right now. I said, you don't understand. These kids had built up hatred, and, and, and like I said, my friend's brother was an example to get back at his parents, my friend's brother would do the most, I mean, just the most stupid, stupid things, like throw rocks at cars, you know, from being up in a tree, and I'd be like, and go egging, and I'd go like, why do you, why does this manifest? And I started to realize when I started to put two, two together as an adult, saying the fact that he got his ass beaten to shreds yeah. as a kid. Yeah, and and it I think that's what James and, you know, That's what it is. It's saying. like yeah. it builds up, and it's like if you have no love in your heart for that many years because you're basically getting pummeled, and your father is telling you, you know, you're a sin, you're a this, you're a that. It right. Was, I mean, I couldn't. I just like just shocked. 
I went to church yeah, with him and, one day, and, one Sunday, and it was like, oh, my God. When they got back, his father went to town, went, would go to drink, came back, had a stiff drink, and then got found out that, his, that, the, that, the, that my friend's brother had done something. And I was like, well, I, and I'm, I'm remembering this vividly now as an adult, some 45 years plus later, going, like, you know, going, I don't even, I can't believe this. I can remember this. And it was like, and it's shocking to me because it's like, you don't see that nowadays. Nowadays, it's, oh, you don't do that, you know. But in those days, yeah, boy. Yeah, I think and that's what go, I don't I understand how these kids. I think that's oh. what James was saying. I mean, if you are in that position that you've never done drugs and you actually, you know, do LSD or whatever it is, the evilness is going to use that. That evil person is going to use that as a tool to get in your mind somehow because it all seems magical the first time. You know, you're, you hate your parents, you're, you're hurt, and you want to go somewhere where there's love, and, and then you get LSD. Systemic, that, that they hated he their used parents, it as a tool. They, he, he, they, all he, all he oh, did was God. basically played upon their worst fears and nightmares, and he, hey, right. I'll just cut, wait right there, stop right there. Sharon said, you're all idiots. You're all She says, think about this. What about the people that are looking to go out and build themselves a backyard bunker? She goes, all those people that are going out to the extreme there, because the same thing there, they're, 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 you know, that's what you got, the same type of mentality. Hey, we're running out of time. You guys want to talk? You have to listen to me, or you'll be talking on the, and there won't be any air. We'll talk off the air, right? I know we're on a roll, but unfortunately, it's 4.49, we started late. So that means oh, I've got literally seconds here left in the studio, okay? This is going to help a show. I'd like to continue this. It's, it's a crazy show today. Fun, serious, all the above. I want to make a quick hypothesis so I can escape by doing that, and it might shut me off here. But and it's my opinion that taking LSD not only alters the user's state of conscious, it can also cause people to experience what is called ego disillusion. And that's the experience of losing the sense of self-identity. And I do believe if you follow the Manson murders and so forth, these young, that were kids at the time, basically, young adults, whatever, they had lost that self-esteem, that self-identity, hence creating these, uh, tragic, uh, you know, ferocity. So, with that said, you guys, look, this is Beyond Reality, Paranormal Talk Radio. We had author James Percy Jr. on. We also had David Olin on here, who we've been talking for quite a while now. I want to say, you know, thank you for coming on the show today. Express your opinion. It's been a great show. With that said, I've got about eight seconds left, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. We didn't speak much about the ghosts. Go to the YouTube channel and look at the ghosts if you want to see ghosts. If you want, you want fun and, and adventure, come to this radio station and listen to Evan. <laughs> You'll have the time of your right. life. <laughs> and Evan, Evan, before we go. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you, Bill same there, Evan. Great as always being on your show. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. God bless. Be well. And we'll see you next time on Young Reality Paranormal Talk. Thank you.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.